Hello, everybody, and welcome to Three Point Perspective, the podcast about illustration, how to do it, how to make a living at it, and how to make an impact in the world with your art. I'm Jake Parker. I'm Lee White. And I'm Will Terry. And at least two of us are professional illustrators. And for the last 25 years, we've all worked with just about every major publisher and publication in the business. We've published somewhere around 50 books jointly, and we've all taught illustration at the university level. Each week, we're going to bring you a different topic in illustration. Sometimes we're going to argue. Sometimes we're going to agree. But every time, you're going to learn something new. That's right. All right. So today, what I thought we'd do is uh, this is the season of graduations, of school ending, of people uh, embarking on new journeys and new adventures, whether they're graduating from high school or college or art school or things like that. So what I wanted to talk about today is as you embark upon your creative journey and, and you forge a, a career path, uh, what are some, I guess, some specific advice that we would have as people who have been doing this for 20 plus years? Um, and so I have a list of five things <laughs> I want to go over and <laughs> get your guys' feedback and and bounce these ideas off of you and see what you guys think. So does that sound hey, good? Can I, can I ask you a question before you start? Uh-huh. Is that a real painting over there on your desk? Like like a physical painting? The one I see, it looks like a Pinocchio and the Eiffel Tower. It's a print. It's a print. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, it was uh, digitally painted and um and then i printed it out so i just looked it looked like the way it's sitting back there like kind of sort of easel-esque on a, in a way so i was wondering if maybe you're painting no <laughs> no <laughs> i don't pay traditionally what are you are you kidding <laughs> uh okay first things first i want to say this has been on my mind because i've had uh, a handful of high school students uh, who or were curious and I guess college underclassmen who've been just curious, like, what should I do? How do I make this work? How do I, how do I move forward? And, and just looking at their work and looking at their portfolios and what they've been um, interested in and the kind of things that they're drawing, I've been giving them advice. And, and so this advice has sort of been swirling around in my head. And then a couple months ago is at Emerald city comic con and I thought, wouldn't it be cool to ask all, a bunch of my favorite artists what they thought about this as well? And so I videotaped, video, videotaped. I recorded wow. on a digital <laughs> device. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, uh, showed my cards there. Anyways, uh, I, I recorded them, you know, one piece of advice that they would have for like someone graduating high school. So that's a YouTube video I put up if you want to check that out. Um, it, it's cool to see advice from professional working artists, what they have to say. But I had my own thoughts. I had things that I wanted to add to it as well. Um, and so this podcast is going to be, uh, I guess, my avenue to share my advice and to bounce it off of you guys and see what you guys think as well. Sound good? Let's do it. Okay. Um, first off, uh, uh, art career is possible for anyone who's questioning whether or not they can make a career in art, uh, I think it is definitely more possible now than it has ever been in the history of people trying to make money off their art. Um, I think if you have the skill, 
if you have a drive inside of you to continually improve your craft and if you have like a good strong healthy work ethic and you're smart about um, the decisions that you make the things that you work on then i think it's going to be incredibly possible for you to not only support yourself but even support like a family uh having a career as an artist would you guys agree with that i mean you're obviously doing it but we've been doing it for 20 years but as you work with students and and see people like going off into the art career world do you are you guys seeing that for yeah. sure yeah it's it's got, i mean it always works out I think appropriately. It's kind of a nice little thing that I noticed as people graduated from that, that I graduated with um, when I went through it and then students that I see graduate. They, you know, grades and all that stuff come into play in college and, and when you're in high school and all that uh, and, and, and personal opinion and all that stuff. But what I found is the, is the professional world is a great, um, I don't know what the right term is, but it, it, it puts everybody where they're supposed to be. The good people got work. The average people struggled to get work, but sometimes did. And then the people that weren't that good didn't get work. And so, I mean, I think everything ends up where it should based on skill and drive. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's fair, I guess. The world doesn't seem... Un I don't see anybody who's super talented who's not getting work. Except well, the ones that don't really want to. Right. Because I've, I've seen a bunch of those. Um, people who... So in fact, some, some years that I've taught some of the most talented people or naturally talented people or people who it seemed like came, it came really easy to aren't doing anything with it. Hmm. But that's by choice. It's not because they by didn't choice. have opportunity. Yeah. 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 But I would also add that I think it depends on what you, how you define being successful at art because a lot of people land in art related jobs um, that aren't necessarily what they were shooting for and a lot of them are very happy where they are. So mm -hmm. I think, yeah, cause I've seen people who are, who are very talented or very adept at, at drawing, but are still scratching their head and like figuring like, how do I make this work? How do I make money off of this? Uh, in fact, uh, I, was, I saw a guy on Twitter who's like, I need a way to figure out how to pay my bills in between, you know, book contracts. Does anybody have any ideas? And, uh, and I, I, I think there's other people who don't have book contracts that they, you know, they don't have that luxury of having, you know, a deal with a publisher and are probably making more money than people who are trying to figure out how to make money in between book projects. And so I think there's this combination of being sort of astute to business practices and, and ways that, that you can um, not only make money for time put into a project but also make passive income and then there's people who are you know really good at the craft who might even who struggle with the, the business side so what i think what we're saying is there's two sides to this this coin if you want to find success <laughs> as well and this is mostly for like uh, uh i would say independent artists um there's a lot of people who are who work have a day job working for studios and i think that is a good option for someone who isn't necessarily completely business-minded uh, because you can you could show up to work you don't have to worry about job leads you don't have to worry about you know where's my paycheck coming you could just go in 
perform a service for a company, collect a paycheck and, and go home, you know, so there, there's that option as well. Um, so let's, let's do these, this list. There's five things uh, that I think you should do in order to find success on this uh, career path. And the first one is to focus on one path. Um, I think you need to be, we'd been talking about this um, with, with a couple other artist friends that came into the studio about a month ago. We're talking about how you need to be a heat-seeking missile. And a heat-seeking missile, how the way it works is it, it locks on a target, and then the real magic is they are able to uh, neglect or ignore every other heat signal. So that's why heat-seeking missiles don't like fly towards the sun every time you launch them. Because they they find the thing that they're supposed to be going after, and that's the one thing they go after. And so I think that's the same for you as a career. I think you need to pick one thing, focus on it, and learn how to do that one thing before looking around and seeing what else what else there is and what else you can do. I think it's fine to be a jack of all trade. I think as you go throughout your career, you're gonna um, you're probably gonna have different you're going to end up doing different things. Um, but I don't think you're going to find success until you nail one thing, you learn one thing, you're good at one thing, and then you can branch out after that. What do you guys think? Now, are you talking about um, a specific market like comics or children's yeah. books? Or, yeah. I think animation? It, yeah, a specific market. Um, I don't mean like I'm just going to draw eyeballs and I'm going to be the master of drawing eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an important distinction because they did have that conversation going on the SBS forums this week where people were wondering, which order do you do things in? Do you pick the market first and then, and then go towards that? Or do you kind of find your own artistic expression and then find where that might fit? And it, it's a good debate to have on, on those two things. But I, I think you can't, I think the days of the, the generalist and the jack of all trades is, is over. Yeah. I yeah. think, I think you can get there. I don't think you start out. I'm going to be a jack of all trades. I think uh, it's a jack of all trades thing sort of comes out of going down one path and focusing on one thing. Now, Jake, are you a jack of all trades because you wor have worked in animation, comics, children's books, advertising, game uh, games, card games? So, is that what makes you a jack of all trades? So, well, l let me ask you this: When you call me a jack of all trades, what do you? I'm trying to I'm trying to lovingly denigrate your, your <laughs> career a little bit there. No, I'm trying. I'm doing it to to. Um, you're not a jack of all trades. You have a distinct mm -hmm. style, but mm -hmm. I, I don't want people listening to this to get confused of what you're actually talking about. So what do you mean when you say jack of all trades? Okay. When I mean jack of all trades is um, you have a creator who can draw the figure and environments, but they can also paint and color those figure and environments, but they can also model them in a, in a computer and, and render those out. And they can throw animation on the top of them. And, um, you know, they can rig the models that they make, you know. Mm -hmm. But they could do any sort of any job that's thrown at them. They can kind of figure out a way and do it. They, and then if they want, they can also storyboard it and comic, draw comics of it and then do a children's book of it. In, okay. five, in five different styles. 
in five different styles. Right. <laughs> right. So you're saying pick a style, pick a market, mm-hmm. pick a an aspect of that market and go for go for that first. Mm-hmm. And let me let me give you an example in my own career. Okay. So when I was going learning art at art school, I wasn't going to an art school, but I was taking art classes at a community college and I was learning how to do these things. And a job offer came up where I was like, hey, I should try this. I should go for this. And that was to work at the animation studio. And so I shift my focus because this opportunity arised. I shift my focus to, I'm just going to learn how to animate. And so for the next two years, I practiced drawing and getting better at my craft, but a lot of my effort and focus was on becoming an animator. And so the what's cool about focusing on one thing is there's side benefits to, to learning that. In order to become a traditional animator, I had to learn how to draw the figure. I had to learn how to draw in proportion. I had to learn how to understand the three-dimensionality of a figure because you're rotating all these objects you know, on paper. And so I was becoming a way better draftsman, a way better uh, just overall artist and, and could understand shape and form and proportion and style because I was learning and focusing on animation. Now, if I, if my thing was, you know what, I'm going to, uh, my, my career is going to be this. I'm going to be a, an animator who also does children's books on the side. And every year I'm going to draw a comic and I'm going to, um, you know, make an animated short or something like that. Like there's so many things you have to learn about children's books and comic books and animation that I would be a lot of wheel spinning and a lot of things that wouldn't, you know, it's kind of like you're 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 going shallow in a bunch of different directions instead of deep into one direction. And by going deep into one direction, you actually become um, much more adept when you want to at, at that one thing when you want to try out children's books. So let's say I'm going down animation and I want to do a children's book. Well, now I already know how to draw characters and figures, and I don't need to worry about that anymore. Now I can just worry about how do you tell a story in children's books. So that's what I'm saying is you focus on one thing. There's a lot of side benefits for focusing on that one thing. The main benefit is, is you can find work in that one thing because people know exactly what box to put you in. But that doesn't mean you're not open to doing other things or transitioning into other things once you've sort of gone down that path. I agree with that. My, my art fair stuff kind of branched out of going down just children's books i mean that all the things you're talking about you know putting characters in environments and telling these stories um was first for me for books and then i saw that those same images had a certain marketplace in the the print market and the fine art market and uh but i didn't change the work at all all i saw was like oh this stuff the same stuff works over here and so, but I didn't go into it thinking I'm going to do children's books and art fairs. It just kind of opened up because it was going down the one path. Mm-hmm. All right. Did you want to add anything to that, Will? No. Okay. <laughs> but I do, I do want to add one thing. Where, where the conclusion I came to finally in the forums when we were Oh, yeah, yeah. I was curious forth, about that. Uh, was that both of them, that those things need to be explored at the same time. Don't neglect one for the other. And then the more those two areas, both your personal interest and then marketplace viability, the more those two things overlap each other, the better chance you have. 
And so, you know, the danger of developing your own style in, in a vacuum is that you, you become proficient at it and you get out and you look up and you're like, okay, I'm now I'm going to sell this thing and there's no market for it. Nobody wants it. And likewise, you don't want to just chase a market thinking, well, I'm not really interested in that, but that's what the market wants. Then, then the work's not very authentic. Mm-hmm. So you just want to kind of, the, the more overlap there is between what you're personally interested in and the marketplace viability is going to give you a greater chance of success. Mm. I think too, the more you focus on the one thing, the easier you are to hire for a job, right? For sure. And as soon as you get a job like that, leads to so many other opportunities as soon as mm-hmm. you get a job in art because now you're working in a place where daily you know 40 hours 50 hours a week you are in contact with other creative people creative people who are, are on your same level people who are above you who have many years under their belt and that's going to open you up to this network of opportunity because you know, the job made in, people may move on and they're always going to say, oh, I worked with so-and-so at this place. They'd be perfect for X, you know. So the sooner you can start getting work in something, the sooner you're going to uh, insert yourself into that, that world. And that sort of leads me to the next thing. But before you get there, mm-hmm. let's define market for a second because... I, you know, a lot of different people listen to this podcast from a lot of different walks of life. Some, some mm-hmm. people are still in high school. This is some people are complete professionals um, who I don't even know why they're listening to this, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but no, um, I've, I've, I've had a lot of people tell me they want to illustrate calendars, you know, mm-hmm. in, in throughout the years. And, I've never met a calendar artist that supports themselves by doing one calendar after another. So to me, that's not a market, Mm -hmm. but children's books is a market. We know a lot of people who support themselves from just doing children's books. Mm -hmm. So I think there needs to be that distinction. Right. Are you saying I should cancel my calendar (laughs) Kickstarter? <laughs> well, even remember in the malls when there were there were like kiosks that just sold calendars. Yeah, oh, yeah. in December only, mm-hmm. <laughs> but not not anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, who goes to a mall anymore? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I think you're good, and that, that actually lead, leads me to the next point. Number okay. two is learn your craft. Okay, and there's a quote from. Uh, a ancient Greek philosopher named Archilochus. Is that how you say it? Wow. I don't know. Somebody's Archilochus. <laughs> Whatever. The quote is more important than the name. Uh, and he says, we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Ooh. So number two, you got to learn your craft. And I, th- I think working hard and, and trying to um, you know, go about learning your craft systematically and learning everything you need to know about fundamentals. I think it should take about four years to learn, to become competent at the fundamentals of art and then a full lifetime to master those fundamentals, right? So my advice is learn those fundamentals, but more importantly, learn how to learn because the most successful artists that I know are always like pushing the limits of, of what they can do. 
they're never content to just stay in the style that they developed in their twenties. You know, these, these people are moving on and they're, they're definitely evolving. You could see, oh, this is an artist that drew that in their twenties, but this is a much more mature, evolved, developed person. So learn how to learn and continually be teaching yourself how to learn and understand that what you can learn about art is inexhaustible. There's no way you're ever going to like learn everything. Mm. So just understand that you're always going to be, you know, going down this path. Um, and so part of that is to draw things you're not comfortable with. You know, if you're really good at drawing characters, but you're not very good at drawing settings that those characters are standing in, then pause on characters for a while and learn how to do settings. If you're really good at, um, you know, drawing hands, but not very good at drawing heads, focus, buckle down and, and draw heads. It depends on, again, this, um, this path, this focus path that you want to go down. So learn everything you need to learn about that. I would read books on the subject. I would um, uh, definitely f find a school that could teach you something, whether it's an online school or it's a uh, actual brick and mortar school. And if you can't find a good school, then I would find good teachers, whether they're people online or people, you know, in your community or at your school. And I, I would also like reiterate too, that as far as school is concerned, it's not about the degree. The degree is a framework for you to learn things, but it's more about what you're learning and that portfolio that you leave school with. That's more important. Um, I would learn from your peers as well. Um, you know, sometimes somebody who is on your level might understand a concept better than you are, and they could, you know, you could glean that information off of them as well. And then I'd also find a mentor, find someone that you can um, tap into who's 10 steps ahead of you, you know, 10 years ahead of you or something like that and see what you can and gain from them as well. What do you guys think? Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the things I want to add about education, it, it may kind of go without saying, but I do want to make it, make it a point that when you get in that training mode, you're like, okay, I really need to buckle down and, and learn my fundamentals or whatever you need to treat it like something that's actually interesting. I see a lot of people kind of go through that foundational stuff like they're being told to eat their vegetables. <laughs> so they have this kind of distaste and like, okay, I gotta, I'm not very good at drawing heads. I'm going to draw 100 heads. But they sort of don't want to be there. You know what I mean? And, and, mm -hmm. and rarely do I see that end up really well. And, and I, can, I can tell when somebody's there because a lot of times those people are the ones who put numbers on it. I'm going to draw 100 heads. Instead of, I really want to learn the forms of the head and being really actually interested in that. And once you get interested in one little part of it, you can really dive deep in there and it becomes engaging and it becomes interesting. And just be interested in the stuff that you're training. That said, you have to train your weakness. That's something I always hit in my classes, train your weakness. But you don't want to only train your weakness because, again, you don't want it to be eating your vegetables. There's kind of a nice balance, but be interested in all of it and find where you're interested in it. Don't just do it because you have to do it and because Jake said to do it or I said to do it. Um, you have to find where you fit in it and where, where your interest is at that moment. And it may not be the most logical thing to study, but be interested in it. It makes a big difference in the result. I've never thought of it that way. Like someone who's really interested at mastering the head is going to draw a lot of heads, right? And then they might realize, oh, I now can draw 
a really good head after I've drawn a hundred heads. And so another, the next person might be like, Oh, all I got to do is draw a hundred heads and I'll know, know how to master heads. Right. So they sit down and they're, I'm, you know, 99, 100, ah, you know, and that 100 <laughs> head may not be any better than head number one. Right. But because they haven't been, you know, thinking and embracing all the forms and everything that you've got to learn when you're drawing a, a head from different angles and all that. That's a good right, point. right. And when you, when you get interested in something, it takes you down some really weird paths. And one of the things I was talking to Jake and Will about earlier this week is one of my strengths is, I think, is value. I think in terms of a painter. I'm not a natural drawer. I'm a natural painter. And so value has always come pretty easy for me, and it's something that I teach a lot. And I just feel really comfortable with value. So my test to myself, but just to stay interested and have fun is I want to do a series of, of paintings that are so limited in their value that if you change them to grayscale, they're just a gray square. Mm. Like how mm. possible, how can you make a good image without relying on value? That was a question I asked myself. Mm. And now I'm interested in that. It's not that, oh, I've got to get better value or, or I need to take value out and I'm relying on it as a crutch. It just became right. a way to look at something and be interested. You like the challenge. It's interesting. You know, what kind of images happen when you step outside of your strength and, yeah. and, and, you know, what happens with that? That's super cool. What do you so, think? So you, this, this number was learn your craft, right? Mm-hmm. And I would add and avoid contentment because of, 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 of all the artists I know who are either struggling or who, you know, gave it a, a go and ended up becoming a realtor or something totally unrelated to art. Most of them, I think the, the, the thing that they had in common that was killing them is they became content with their current level of output. Mm-hmm. And so when you're talking about craft, like you said already, you can never get like, it's a lifetime to master it. And at the, but that's, that's the one thing that I see people doing. And I, and I, I know this because I was guilty of that in around 2005, six, seven, um, I thought I had developed my style. I'm like, okay, this is the style that I'm going to use. There wasn't any three point perspective podcast. So I didn't have Jake in my ear or anybody, you know, I, I didn't have, um, you know, I was living in California. I was in a, in a small town. I was isolated from other artists and, and I didn't have, you know, I'd never really been exposed to people talking about the, you know, art theory and, and how you, you know, improve your craft and, and also how dangerous it is to become complacent and how art is, um, to make art is to take risks and, 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 you know, contentment and risks are, you know, kind of diametrically opposed. So if you're content and happy with what you're doing and you're, you're not driving, you're not pushing past, you're, you're basically in atrophy mode. You're, you're going to be slowly losing and you don't even don't even realize it um and uh, of all the artists i can think of that are doing really well the one thing they have in common is that they're they they do a project they do a book and then they they shove it off to the side and they go that was a great accomplishment they take all the pats on the back from their you know their client and the people on social media but out of sight out of mind now they're looking forward to the next thing Mm-hmm. And um, if you're not forward-looking like that, you're probably not ever going to make any significant marks yeah. with your craft. Yeah, I agree. 
every every drawing that you do every project that you finish should be a little bit better than the last one yeah and if you're seeing that yeah if you're seeing that atrophy you know that's the thing that scares me because i'm going through this phase for the last couple of months where i just haven't been drawing uh exploratively ex- exploratory drawing i guess or i used to, i used, i usually call it research and development where you usually devote a certain time every week to let's design a new character let's kind of push you know myself with vehicle design or or you know let's develop an environment or something like that boldly and, going where no other artist has gone yeah or where at least i haven't <laughs> gone right and i just haven't been doing that and uh, because I've been so focused on just these contract projects that I've had, right? And then I had to sit down and actually draw like a character for a thing, um, and I was so rusty. <laughs> and it, what what usually takes me forty five minutes ended up taking me like two and a half hours. And I was going through iteration after iteration. I'm like, no, that's not good. You know, toss it. No, that's not good. Toss it. And I realized like, oh, I'm out of shape. This is this is like someone getting back on the racetrack after not running for two months and trying to you know trying to get the same pace that they had two months ago and it just wasn't working. So that that made me realize, no matter what's going on in my week, no matter what I'm doing, I have to carve out a little bit of time daily for that training, just mm-hmm. to just to keep myself a little bit sharp, a little bit, you know, keep that edge going. So. Now, I'll, I'll bet some people listening are, are thinking, yeah, right. Jake Parker does not a draw anymore. But what are you specifically talking about? Like what goes, you, you don't, you know, you didn't forget how to draw a wheel or a, or a cube or something like that. But like, what, do you, what actually starts to atrophy? I, so my problem with this one was I was drawing a, 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 a character and I wanted to put them in a cool pose, and I could not find a good pose. I knew how to draw a head, I knew how to draw a hand, I knew how to draw legs and arms, but I could not find a pose that was just not boring. You know, I didn't just want the character standing there, I wanted the character like doing something. And so I was like, do I draw them in perspective? No, that doesn't work. Do I draw them jumping? Eh, that's kind of good. Do I draw them, you know, sitting on a motorcycle? Oh, that's weird. You know, and I so, just so normally you're you're in in that where your instincts normally take over, and but since you're rusty, the instincts aren't really there. So you're having to actually exactly. manually go yeah. through the options. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas a a younger version of Jake would have sat down and been like, "Crap, how do I draw a hand again?" You know, I know how to draw a hand now, but it's like what should that hand be doing that's interesting and that that's what was atrophying that's tricky too i should i should add that i mean it's you guys may be thinking well it's easy for you guys because you're so awesome and we have all the time in the world nobody's thinking we're awesome but but you know a lot of times people who aren't professionals yet think if i just if i had the whole day like you guys do i could draw all the time all you're doing is drawing and painting and, and i think it's important to note that just being a pro in this, you still got to carve the time out intentionally. All three of us have had wild swings over the past month for different reasons. And um, you got to, we got to dig in too and, and, and try to schedule these things. It's just as hard. I sometimes feel like when I finally sit down to draw that this relief comes over me because you're done with the emails and the contracts and the, mm-hmm. all the other stuff that comes with 
this job. A lot of people don't think about that stuff because they haven't experienced it yet. It seems like we're just drawing and painting all day, but I really got to fight for those hours. Yeah. Well, I call it the, the Batman Bruce Wayne principle, I guess, or I don't know if it's a principle or it's a dichotomy. You mentioned that before that there's, there's no Batman without Bruce Wayne. Is that what? Exactly. Like, you know, if, if, uh, if Batman, all he did was fight crime at night, and jumped around in a suit, uh, you know, bat suit, and and practices his moves and all that stuff. Um, you know, there would be no money to like fund his operation. He has to have Bruce Wayne to like manage Wayne Industries. He has to, right? <laughs> you know, he has to have a head in the real world to understand, you know, what crime is actually doing to you know to people in, in the daytime, right? Where where does Robin fit into this analogy? Yeah, well, you need at some point you're going to need an assistant. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number three is get a life. Okay, there's a quote I want to share from J.J. Abrams, and he was asked, um, "What was the most important advice he's ever given?" Been given, and he said that his father, as he was graduating high school, he's going off to college. And he was, he was debating, J.J. Abrams was debating, do I, um, you know, do I go to film school? Do I go to like a regular school? Uh, you know, do I focus all on my art or do I like get a, you know, traditional education? And his father said, it's more important that you go off and learn what to make movies about than how to make movies. And I like that because you're going to learn your craft and your craft is going to be something that, that you're just always going to be learning and you're never going to be, I don't think you're ever going to arrive, right? Even, you know, even these master painters died not having, you know, there's still like mountains that they wanted to climb, right? And so if that's something that that you're just used to, that you're always going to be learning your craft, then maybe what's more important um, to to think about and to focus on is what is that craft going to be devoted towards? What Mm. are the stories you're going to tell? What are the things you're going to draw? What are the issues you're going to tackle with your art? So, and that's the common, we've talked about this before. That's the common problem for illustrators is we, we become beautification experts mm -hmm. and then the content, the story, it becomes a distant second. And so we have, we fight with some of our students. There's one in particular I'm thinking of right now and I'm not going to out him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know you guys know who I'm talking about, who is, has been in love with all these little tiny details mm-hmm. in his paintings. And he and I talked about it and he's like, yeah, I keep hearing that from other people too. And mm-hmm. that's because I know, I know, and I said to him, I said, I know why you're painting the way you are. In other words, every little detail is just as important as the next. And there's no hierarchy. Every, there's, there's a level of crispness throughout the whole image. Mm-hmm. It's because you've fallen in love with rendering, mm-hmm. and I, as I did, and I can I can see the sins in you that I used to mm-hmm. I've repented of, you know. And it took a lot of it took a lot of um, other artists um, giving me critiques, which which is painful as a professional because you know you feel like you know, you know I think I was 15 years in before I actually became humble again and. Mm-hmm. And or you know gain some level of humility to to ask for help, and the, and the help came flowing in from people going, mm-hmm. dude, <laughs> you're in love with the the craft, but you're not telling stories, you know? Right. Yeah. So the it's question hard not is, to fall in love with that. Yeah, 
how do you know what to tell stories about? And that's the reason you got to have a life. You got to have a life outside of art. You got to have a life outside of rendering. Um, you got to have experiences to base your, your, uh, the visuals that you want to create off of, right? So it's one thing to just draw a forest. And I'm just going to be a guy that draws forests. But why forests? Like, what forests? What's happening in the forest? You know, all these things might be based off of, you know, it's one thing to be like, I just love drawing trees. It's another thing to be like, well, I grew up in a forest and the forest, you know, is where all my memories are. And I see the forest dying and I think it should be saved. And, you know, X, Y, and Z, those are reasons to now like feel your creativity instead of, well, I think Bark's like really fun to render. <laughs> right. You, know, you just, you don't want to be those people that are just, I don't know, maybe I'm, here I am hedging, but I don't think you should be a person that's just in love with rendering for the sake of rendering. Like that seems shallow and it seems uh, vapid. Like you want to have some tooth, some meat to, to what you're, what you're working on, what you're creating. And, and, and when people experience your work, come away with it having been changed or engaged some way. I like asking, asking students who are showing me work um, two things, like what, what's interesting about this and why should I care about it? Mm. And if you can answer those two questions quickly when you're showing a piece, then that means you're probably going down the right road. Mm -hmm. But if, if when I say what's interesting about a piece, you say, look how good the bark is rendered. Well, is that really that interesting? Yeah. Right. I drew a, um, I'll, I'll just give an example in like the most simplest form of this, right? This morning I drew a picture of Darth Vader. And, you know, I gave myself this assignment. I want to draw a picture of Darth Vader. And so there's several different paths I could go down. One is I could just do a straight up rendering of Darth Vader based off of the photograph. What does that contribute to, to the story of Darth Vader? Nothing. You know, you could just see that same thing in a photograph or on film. So that's one side of it. That's all about the rendering. What I ended up doing was, what is Darth Vader and why is he, you know, who he is? And so I was thinking Darth Vader is mostly machine. Um, he's cruel and heartless. And he's this, supposed to be this, like, menacing, foreboding, like, death machine, right? And so... I took those ideas and then I made my version of Darth Vader where he was very chunky and thick and broad and his uh, components, his machine components, his robotic components were very visible to him. And then uh, his face mask, I leaned heavily on skull-like appearances. And so now my version of Darth Vader, I think, is saying, hey, we've had this film version of it what if he was this really abstract, almost abstract con like a comic book uh, dreamlike version of it. And that's what I was trying to add to it. The, the story of Darth Vader, I guess. So that's what, that's kind of what I'm talking about here is like based on my experiences, based on my uh, interpretation of things, I'm taking elements from what I find are interesting and cool from my experiences in life and I'm applying it to just even like a simple drawing of Darth Vader. That's cool. Can we, can we post that picture in the show notes? 
Yeah, we'll, we'll post that in the show notes. For sure. I'm curious to see that. Some fan art. Yeah, fan cool. art. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think that I've forgotten, by the way, like a year or two ago, Jake challenged me to draw Batman. And I think I just did a real quick iPhone drawing with my finger, you know, using that little <laughs> drawing thing. But I haven't forgotten about it. Ever since, it just creeps in my head every now and again, like, how would I draw Batman? And I've been thinking about it. <laughs> okay. I don't, know, I don't know what I want it to be yet. All right. I'm glad that's still percolating there. Glad I want to see a Lee White Batman. It's a challenge. I, I mean, it's so, it's so outside my wheelhouse that it's, uh, it's intimidating, actually. I don't think we'll see it, but I want to see it. Oh, you're going to see it. <laughs> that see one, tabling. Listen, you want Lee to do anything. All you have to do is, I don't think he'll do it. <laughs> all you have to say that's, that's how i got him to froth that's true <laughs> when i used to be a competitive skateboarder i whenever i was having trouble with a trick i would just get anybody to bet me a quarter that i wouldn't do it and then if mm-hmm. they would bet me a quarter I'd, pretty chances are the next two or three tries i'd land it or go to the hospital <laughs> all right i'll bet you a quarter you don't draw that man dang it <laughs> <laughs> By next Friday. <laughs> All right, so number three was get a life. And and just go back a couple episodes to our work-life balance uh podcast episode. And we really dig in deep to that one if you want, if you want more. Um okay, number four, do one personal project a year. All right. And there's this great quote from this this one of my favorite books on art. It's called Art and Fear. And uh, if you are ever thinking about pursuing this craft, um, I would read that book. Like that book was was really good. And I, I wish I had read it in my earlier years. I don't think I would have appreciated it as much maybe, but it's definitely like a book that I read two or three years ago. And I was like, oh yes, yeah, this is good. Oh, this is good. Everything in it was just like feeding me. But this quote from Art and Fear is, you make your place in the world by making a part of it. So um, how do you make a part of the world through your creations, through something that you're putting out into the world? And by just the act of creating something and putting it into the world, you establish yourself as a person who creates. And you can't be that noun without doing that verb. You can't be a creative person without creating things. So that's my i guess personal thing throughout my last 20 years as working as an artist is every year i try to make a physical something and put it out into the world whether it's a comic story whether it's an actual book whether it's um you know a, a i've counted my website like a brand new website where it showcases my work as a way to put something physical in the world whether it's prints that i've sold on my website something physical has to go out into the world it proves that you can make a thing, have it be finished, have it be, you know, whether it's holdable in your hands or, you know, tangible, or it's something that someone can physically experience, whether it's through their eyes, or through their ears, or some of the senses, it has to exist. And, um, and that's like, honestly, I think that's one of the best things you can do as, as, as an artist, because it encapsulates focusing uh, the things we talked about, focusing, mastering your craft, and it also shows that, that um, 
it's a way to show the experiences that you've had in your life and, and distill them into something physical. What do you guys think? Go ahead, Will. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to get any argument from me there. I think um, uh, I, I actually, when I thought about this topic, was thinking that if I were, if this were my topic and I had organized it, one of the, the, the things, and I don't, I don't, I don't know what your number five is, but mm-hmm. um, one of my things for getting work is always creating personal projects, is starting things. Mm-hmm. You know, because I we get asked all the time. It's probably the number one question um, that we get in emails to, you know, to the podcast or to to uh, Mia, who then forwards them to us. Is you know, my work is great, which is actually the first podcast we did. Mm-hmm. My work is great. Why won't anyone hire me? Mm-hmm. And my basic example there is: you got to be in motion, and whether if if someone's not hiring you, you've got to create. You got to start creating that thing that you want to do. You got to start filling your portfolio with the things that you want to end up getting. And if that, you know, maybe that's just creating portfolio pieces, but maybe why not create your own project, you know, your own product that you can then market and sell. And from those things, that's often where people uh, hire you. So like, have you ever, have you guys ever gotten job offers from like, you know, you did all the books that you've done on your own, like, you know, from the comics that you've done with, with rocket, mm-hmm. rocket man or rocket rodent. What is it? Rocket, missile mouse. Missile mouse. That's the one. Rocket. Rodent. <laughs> That'd be a good title. Rocket rodent. There you go. Um, but anyway, like <laughs> rocket like, rat, rocket rat. How, how many jobs have you gotten from those projects? You know, well, those books, those two graphic novels came because I did a smaller project that I put out into the world. I did a Missile Mouse 20 page story that went into an anthology. Yeah. And the right person saw it and said, Hey, we want more of that. Uh, um, and the reason I was doing that short story is because I had been doing short comic stories every year. And that, those were my projects that I was putting out into the world. Yeah. So I just got a big job now, too, that I'm sort of working on figuring out the details uh, of it. But, you know, it could be a, a two or three month long project. And that came about because the creative director was a fan of the stuff I'd just been putting out and, mm-hmm. and was aware of, aware of me. Well, um, where did he see it? Those projects. Um, familiar with my uh, Inktober projects that I did every year. Um, and, and specifically these last two years, I did, uh, these, these big poster prints of 31 characters marching along side to side. One was a fantasy. One was a, um, one was a, uh, uh, sci-fi group of characters. So yeah, that's cool. These prints and sold them, put them out there. Well, one thing I should add again, going into the end of the professional world, for those of you guys who haven't worked in the industry, um, you know, again, it just seems like we're drawing and painting all day, just making stuff that we want to make. But one of the things that comes with working with other people in this industry, me and Jake were talking about this actually last week on the phone, that once, once a job is real, it's going to be a book, it's going to be a movie or whatever, a lot of people are involved. And all of a sudden you're doing a project and the sketch that you did is being shown to 10 people and they come back and, and they, they change things. And now maybe there's a monkey over here in the corner and you, and they change the spread size and they, you know, the pose is changed. Now it's a girl instead of a boy. 
you, anyway, you're making all these changes and it's, it's kind of designed by committee. And if you don't have the personal projects to balance that side out, you'll go insane. I just finished doing revisions on a, on a picture book and it was a heavy, heavy load of revisions. I'm not saying they weren't, they didn't make the book better, but mm -hmm. it, it was just a lot. I'm trying to please a, a lot of people and I need to, and it's a tough story too. Every um, dog has to mark their scent. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, they're being paid to. Right. That's the crazy right. thing about these uh, gatekeepers is if they don't make changes, their their perceptions they're not doing their job. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. So. Right. Right. And so but, so anyway, so having a personal project can balance that out because it can it can it's again I don't mind making the changes that comes with the job, but all of a sudden it feels like a different job than when you're just making your own thing and nobody's saying, no, oh, yeah, that blue is going to have to be green because marketing said green is hot this year, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See, and I, I, I'll just tell you, you know, I, you guys know that I've been doing these little fan art pieces and uh, a group over in Singapore saw those and then they, you know, that was my personal project mm -hmm. and they saw those and then they started looking uh, for me online and they saw my YouTube channel. They watched a few videos and then they um, they looked me up as a children's book illustrator, and they're doing a conference uh, for children's book illustration, and they're looking for people to come and give master classes and speak and stuff. And so we're in talks right now on whether they're going to fly me over there. And that's just something that it, it might not happen, but if it does, it will happen simply because of the personal project that they saw. Oh wow, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah. So personal project, it's a way for you to like stretch your creativity and sort of show, uh, I guess, establish a benchmark for yourself. Like this year I made this and this is the best thing I could make. And so now, you know, next year, the, the benchmark you have to reach. Right. So it gives you something to aspire to, I guess. They also, like Will was saying, this is your calling card. Uh, once you have this personal project and it's put out to the world, then people will know you by this and it establishes you as a person who does that. So I would, you know, some ideas I would think for someone who's just starting out, you know, if you're just out of high school, like make, and if you, you know, if you figured out you want to go into comics or you want to go into children's books, maybe you do a short story. It doesn't have to be a 32 page children's book. It could just be a five page book that just tells a simple story through five illustrations or if it's a and when i was in high school i remember my senior year i made a uh i, I wrote like a 20 page story but i only had enough like energy in me to do a five page story <laughs> so i just said to be continued and i i went and copied it off at the copy center and made a bunch of copies and gave them to friends and things like that but it was like this finished book that was like stapled together of this you know this comic story that started out um, but that's where you just start out small is the thing I made. I put it out there and then I knew, okay, I can make a five page comic book. Now this next year, let's see if I can do a 10 page one, you know? Um, so that's number four, number five. And the last one we're going to talk about is share your work. Okay. So it kind of goes along with that. It's no good to do a project or to be working on something if you're not sharing it with people so that people can see it. And I know there's there's people that are just like, I'm afraid to show what I'm working on because it's not good enough. It's not there yet. I haven't arrived yet. And my answer to that is this quote from Jeff uh, Goins. And he says, an artist's job is not to be perfect, but to be creating. 
And one of the best things you could do as an artist is, is not worry about perfection. Just worry about finishing your stuff and documenting and sharing your progress online. I wouldn't make social media like a huge focus like, oh, uh, I haven't posted in two days. I better draw something to post. But instead, I would use it as a way to, because you're creating daily, you could just use social media as a way to document that and say, here's what I made today, or here's what I'm I'm thinking about, or here's what's inspiring me. And the reason what that's going to do is, is uh, number one, it's it's going to, um, I think, maybe even motivate you to create more. Number two, it's going to um, expose you to people who would not know about your work regardless right um and it's going to turn some of those people into fans of you yours are going to uh, be invested in your success so if you establish yourself and just say you know i'm a student or i'm a recent graduate or i'm planning on going to college next year or whatever it is just say who you are be honest about it my passion is comics or my passion is children's books uh, and someday I want to be a professional children's book illustrator. Join me on this path. You know, that's all your handle has to say. And then when people see, oh, this person's working on character design or this person's working on, you know, uh, illustrating an environment, they're going to understand, oh, this person's working and they're going to see that you're gradually getting better. And you better believe that when that day comes five years down the line, when you get your first book deal, those people that were following you, those hundred people at the beginning who were following you, they're going to be first in line to get your book, right? And you're going to make lifelong fans. And there's people that I meet at comic book conventions that say, I bought your first book back in 2001. You know, and they'll have a copy of it with them. And they're like, here, I still have it. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I had maybe 50 people who knew about my stuff back then. It's so cool to meet you now, you know? Um, so that's, that's what I think is don't be shy, share your work and, and show it to other people. And let me add to that, that a lot of you guys listening think, like you, you mentioned, you alluded to this when you first started, Jake, on this part that, that, you know, people think they're not ready yet. That thought is stinking thinking. And here's why, because you, your clients, when they see the, when they finally see the work they, that they love and they want to hire you for, they aren't going to go back in your archive and go, wait a minute. A couple of years ago, this person was capable of not as good work, you know, right. it just doesn't happen that way. So mm-hmm. you're, you know, I, another question I get all the time is if, if I put out bad work, is that going to ruin my chances of working? Number one, no, because they're not going to go back and, and look at, you know, your old stuff. But two, there are so many client opportunities out there that they're just not, they're not going to see your bad stuff. Mm-hmm. They just aren't. They're going to see your good stuff. They're going to and, every, and you and you got to put it out there at some point. I mean, I I remember when I was doing my second book, and I remember having all the paintings done and and lining them all up and thinking, this is my this is it. This is my make it or break it. And of course, it wasn't my make it or break it. And and I'm way better now, I think, than I was back then. And and there was no line in the sand that needed to happen with that. I don't love that work, but. You know, you have to at some point put it out there and then later know that you're probably going to not like it as much. And that's just kind of how all of us are, right? You guys don't love the work you were doing 15 years ago as much as the work you're doing now, probably. Yeah. Right. I don't love the work I did five years ago. <laughs> the work I did this morning is terrible. 
I think the other thing too, I just thought of this as well, is when you post work that isn't your best work, but it, it, it's work that just shows that you're struggling or, or, you know, trying to understand how to draw something. It also helps others who are struggling with that, like feel good and okay that, that they're not the only one um, struggling with it. You know, they're not alone. And so you, you might even form a community community around your work because it's not the best. <laughs> like it might be like, oh, we're all growing here together. We're all getting better together here. Well, that's one thing that's been really rewarding about seeing the forums, um, the SVS forums, is that people are so encouraging there and they do go through it together and they do drawovers and stuff and it's just such a, a giving community. I've been very pleased with seeing how that, you know, aside from all the, the other sites that are online where everybody's so mad and cynical and, and, and aggressive, it seems like a very supportive place. And once somebody says, hey, I'm struggling with this one thing, and people are quick to chime in and say, hey, here's maybe a solution or I'm not the best at this, but I'll give it a go. Yeah. What is this SVS you keep talking about? Is that a sponsor, Jake? What's going on with that SVS? Oh, svslearn.com. Is that, is that what we're talking about? Yeah. No, svslearn.com is, is the, they're the, they're the ones that are the reason we have this, this podcast here. They, they're the ones paying for the editor, paying for, um, uh, you know, what else is there to spend on this? <laughs> I don't know. The point is, is uh, yeah. Oh yeah. The private jet that fly us out to, uh, yes. to, I think we record in Hawaii every two weeks. That's yes. what we do. <laughs> no, no. Let's just learn. If you haven't heard about it yet, it is the, um, it's a, an educational website learning, teaching, not learning, but teaching people how to illustrate, specifically how to illustrate children's books and to get better at, at illustration. So if you're interested in improving your craft and getting, learning these actual fundamentals that we talk about and learning these principles in art, you know, light and shadow and, and composition and how to render the form and things like that, we have classes for all of these things and you could subscribe for I was at 25 bucks a month and get access to all this stuff. And we have a new subscriber hangout that we're doing that we're trying out where we show people how to, how to use the website and ask questions, uh, answer questions, things like that. So uh, definitely join SVS learn and, um, and see what you can see what you can get. We're getting ready to start something else. Are we allowed to talk about that? Not yet. Oh, dang. Okay. We'll, we'll keep people, people waiting. Hey, can I add, are you done with your list? Uh, that was my list. Can I just go over it one more time? Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Uh, just, okay, so number one is focus on one path. Number two, learn your craft. Uh, it, it helps to know what you want to focus on before you start learning your craft. Number three, get a life. So don't, don't spend your time on video games and watching, you know, binging TV. Go out and do something. Get a... Get a, uh, a girlfriend. <laughs> now, when you say that, you're saying that affectionately. You're not saying, like, get a life. You're saying, like, get a life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, be <laughs> interested. uplifting, not degrading. <laughs> right. Go out and do stuff. Um, okay, number four, do one personal project a year. And number five, share your work. And I'll share this quote with Bob Dylan. He's from Bob Dylan. You guys have heard of him before, right? Uh-uh. He's a dancer. He's a- I think no, he's he uh, he's like a, a heavy metal guitar guy. 
we're we're so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Our jokes are the worst. <laughs> okay. Anyways, Bob Dylan said, "A man is a success if he gets up in the morning and goes to bed at night, and in between does what he wants to do." Mm. So be that person that that you're waking up in the morning, you're going to bed at night, and in between, you're doing the things that you want to do, and and don't waste your time doing stuff that's not going to get you, move you closer towards your dreams. As an artist, don't get stuck doing something that you feel like you have to do. Um, engineer your life in a way that you can be doing the thing that you want to do. Awesome. That's awesome. I want to add a quote because you, you've been so quote heavy today. <laughs> all right. So my favorite quote, favorite quote of all time. No, I love quotes, but my favorite one, I use this one a lot in my classes. It was actually a fortune cookie, if you can believe it. <laughs> okay. So I got to give my credit where credit is due. Author because unknown. I ate Chinese food one day. <laughs> but it was so profound when I opened it. Um, a, a good beginning is half done. Mm. Good beginnings half done. And the reason I want to say that is because a lot of times uh, people that are leaving high school and college and in those stages of, of artistic development tend to always want to go to the finish. And, and then it's such a struggle when they're going to the finish or they've already painted it and they post it and like, Hey, what do you guys think? And then somebody says, Oh, the perspective is off. And they're like, okay, well, how do I fix it? Now they're painting over their already painted piece. And my biggest advice to almost everybody is pros and amateurs alike is spend time being interested in the early part of an image and doing studies and sketches and all that stuff. And, and, and don't just race to the finish. As a matter of fact, um, I'm teaching a book cover class with Jamie Zollers and a couple of the people, and we prepped them for this too. Um, we told them this is not like a normal class. Like, I don't care if you get any finished images out of this. We want to teach you how to think and create good images and, and, and go through that thinking process. So some of the people, they submitted the rough sketches and, you know, they, and, you know, even toned them and all that stuff. And we're like, no, let's go back. Let's start over. And I think we can, I think there's a better image here. Let's start over and, and, and work on these other things. And they were, they were good about it because we had prepped them. We said, we're not going for the finish. And um, if we can just get a good rough sketch out of it, we know that everybody eventually can paint a beautiful painting once they have those ingredients. But just uh, it's my biggest advice is like start slow, build it up, and then the nice finish and the nice portfolio piece will be a byproduct of that. Cool. I like that. Yeah. All right, guys. Let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Uh, thank you for joining us. Three Point Perspective, as mentioned earlier, is made possible by SVS, svslearn.com, where becoming a great children's book illustrator starts. And your hosts have been Will Terry. You can find his work at willterry.com. Follow him on Instagram at willterryart. Lee White, uh, you can find his work at leewhiteillustration.com. And uh, his Instagram account is leewhiteillo. Um, and then Jake Parker is myself, and you can find my website at mrjakeparker.com. And my Instagram account is at Jake Parker. Podcast is edited by Alex Sugg, and you can find his work at alexsugg.com. That's Sugg with two Gs. And uh, show notes by Tanner Garlic. And uh, you can find his work at tannergarlicart.com. So if you like this episode, please share it around. Subscribe to it on iTunes and, and leave a review. Or you can subscribe to it uh, on anything that lets you listen to a podcast, I guess. 
Whatever, whatever you do, wherever you can leave a review, leave it. We'd love to hear what you think. And if you're wanting to join in on this discussion and you have a sixth piece of advice to add, log on to svslearn.com, uh, go to the forum section, and we've posted this episode in its own thread. So chime in over there and let us know your thoughts. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next time.